a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Welcome, Rebels and Imperials, to Force Ghost Coast to Coast Season 3. Dig that temporary theme music? Don't get used to it. I'm working on new stuff. This is a podcast from a galaxy far, far away that deals with all things Star Wars. We are doing something new for our third season, which starts right now. We're going to be having two episodes every month. Uh, One of them is going to be like the one you're about to listen to, where I speak with somebody, whether it's one of my podcast co-hosts or a, a friend or somebody with just an interesting Star Wars opinion about Star Wars. We're going to start with Episode 1, and we're going to move forward through all 10 Star Wars films moving up to Episode 9. And so uh, once a month or so, you'll be hearing a chat about one of the movies. So we encourage you to watch along. So if you have some time this Memorial Day weekend, pause this podcast right now, go watch The Phantom Menace, and then come back and listen to our chat about it in just a few minutes. The other show we're going to be doing every month is a show with uh, two new co-hosts. And this is a first for me. I've never done a podcast. Um, by the way, I'm Brian Salvatore, Senior Editor of Multiversity Comics. I forgot to introduce myself. But I've never done a podcast with people in person before with regularity. I've done a couple of episodes here and there. For the most part, my podcasts are done via Skype. But these are going to be two friends who live locally. And I'm super excited to introduce you to them next time. And so look for that episode in a few weeks. And uh, yeah, we're really excited about this upcoming year of Star Wars stuff. So Force Ghost Coast to Coast is back with a vengeance. So thanks for listening. This week's guest is Michael Morisi. Michael is a writer of prose and comics. He is the writer of a science fiction novel series called Black Star Renegades, which is excellent if you haven't checked it out. He's also written a bunch of comics, which is how I got to know him. He uh, wrote Roche Limit. He wrote Curse. He wrote Wasted Space, Hoax Hunters, Burning Fields. And for our purposes today, he's also a Star Wars writer. He's written for the Star Wars Adventures comic. He's written some stuff for StarWars.com. He is um, you know, he works for Lucasfilm in some capacity. And while we get no dirt out of him, I promise, we do get some fun perspective. And he's a huge Star Wars fan. And he's a guy I know who has a really interesting level of respect for the prequels. And that's not to say he loves the prequels, but he just respects what they represent. And so I thought he'd be the perfect person to bring on the show to talk about The Phantom Menace. For those that don't know, The Phantom Menace turned 20 this week. Uh... In 1999, many of us waited in long lines to see The Phantom Menace. It was a huge deal. It was a movie-going experience that was relatively new at that point. There hadn't been, to my knowledge, a franchise that was so popular and then went away and then came back. And so it was a totally unique experience. And I think that the expectations for The Phantom Menace were such that even if it was the greatest movie of all time, it would still polarize fans for a lot of reasons. So Michael and I get into that, and I hope you enjoy our conversation. Next time, we're going to be back with the two new co-hosts, and it's going to be it's gonna be great. I can't wait. I'm so excited for this season of Force Ghost, and we're going to be bringing back old friends, and we're having hopefully some interviews. We want to do a lot with this show. And so coming up is my chat with Michael, and uh, remember, the Force will be with you always. Joining me on the first of this 10-part rewatch discussion through the Star Wars uh, saga. I guess it's not really the, the saga because there's outside Skywalker. Who cares? The, the Star Wars films is uh, a guy I met. I'm going to call it near Comic-Con 2011. Does that sound right to you? Uh, if not that, it's very close. Yeah, somewhere around there. Uh, he is a uh, a writer of comics, a writer of prose a Star Wars fan, and uh, a good guy. We have Michael Morisi on the show tonight. Uh, he is recently the recipient of a very cool deal with Vault Comics, and uh, congratulations on that, my friend. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I uh, I love those guys. They are better to me than I deserve, potentially, but um, 
you know, the ink's dry now. So, <laughs> <laughs> so jokes on them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I, I tend to ask people sort of what their Star Wars origin is, but that that takes like the whole show. People have such, myself included, such like rich, deep histories with Star Wars. So, I guess my first question for you is like, 1999, Force Awakens come out, coming out. How old are you? And what is your sort of Star Wars involvement at that point in your life? So I was uh, I was 18, okay. um, a huge Star Wars fan. You know, I won't give the whole origin. I, I think every origin's the same. I watched one as a kid. I liked it, and I still watch it now. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> you know, um, so uh, yeah, I, I loved it as a kid, um, and I was I was just about to turn 19. Uh, lost my mind. You know, I, I never thought there'd be. I never thought there'd be more Star Wars movies. You know, I, I just always thought we'd have the three. We'd have the books. I was a huge, you know, Timothy Zahn fan. I, I know, I'll never forget being in Walden books and seeing like a Star Wars display of books and being like, oh my God, Star Wars is in books forms. You know, <laughs> like, um, and I thought that was kind of it. And then all of a sudden, you know, George Lucas announced he's doing it and we got a cool preview. And uh, I forget what day Phantom Menace started. May something. Gosh, I should know this. Do you know the day? I'm going to look it up right now. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to say it had to be May, right? Uh, let's see. Yeah, it was It was definitely May. It was May 19th, 1999. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, my, my, or, my sort of situation is pretty similar. I was 17 at the time. And okay. uh, one of my fr- and people who listen to the show are sick of me telling the story, but it's a good story, damn it. Um, one of my friends worked at the local movie theater and told me that if you work there, you get to see movies a day early. And Ooh, so nice. I got a job to see The Phantom Menace a day early. That was the <laughs> entire reason I wanted to work at the movie theater. Um, I can imagine you then like walking out of the theater after the show and just throwing your shirt to whoever's, you know, like you're at your, you know, like whatever polo they had you wearing for yep. the theater. <laughs> oh dude. At that time I had to wear like a white shirt and a black bow tie. It wasn't a polo. Ooh, it was a, it no. was formal wear. <laughs> That's but, fine. I worked at a theater too. We just, we just had a striped polo. That oh, really? was it. Eventually yeah. we went to the polo, but that, that was still bow tie era. Oof, we man, were, we were a classy local establishment. <laughs> but, Clearly, <laughs> uh, but you know, um, I uh, so you know, I, I think I have a similar sort of vantage point from you. You know, I'd always heard the Star Wars was intended to be a nine-part series, but right. that it wasn't going to happen. We were just going to get sort of the three that we got, and that was going to be good enough for us. And so when this movie was announced, it sort of blew my mind. I was too young to have seen the original films in theaters, but I was at opening night of every uh, special edition film. I think oh, I yeah. saw each one at least twice in the theaters. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, th- I-, I think, you know, we were both sort of at the right age to be properly excited by this movie. And also, I think, the right age to be totally cynical about it once we saw it. So what was your like <laughs> initial reaction to seeing The Phantom Menace? All right, so I, you you have it exactly right because we're not. Yeah, I mean, you could, if there's people like five or six years younger than us, or even more, and I know those people, and they love Jar Jar, and they love the movie, and I like from the word go, they loved it. It's part of their childhood, the way New Hope, etc., is part of ours. Uh, and I and I'm probably not supposed to say this, you know. I, I full disclosure, you know, as you know, I, I work for Lucasfilm, I do some Star Wars writing, but I walked out of phantom menace confused <laughs> um, <laughs> it was my it was my brother and i who's oh we we see every star wars movie together he's he's uh, my older brother he's a, introduced me to star wars more or less he's a biggest biggest of a fan as i am and we walked out and we were both just like huh <laughs> like uh it wasn't it wasn't the visceral you know anger that that movie and, and all the prequels eventually kind of curried over time um it wasn't that, but it was also like, I'm not sure what I just watched necessarily. Um, how about you? What was yours like? Well, so I think like a lot of people, I tricked myself into liking it more than I did. Uh, I did some convincing as well, yes. <laughs> yes, there was some bargaining with myself there, you know. <laughs> um, the lightsaber stuff was obviously huge for a kid 
who had never seen anything like that. That's the thing. Like my daughter is seven, and she loves Star Wars now. But like she first started watching Star Wars with the Clone Wars, and so she always saw cool lightsaber shit. We never saw that. Like that wasn't a thing for us. Like Luke and Vader at the end of Jedi was the best we got, and that's still not not like super great lightsaber duels, you know. So from just like a visceral action standpoint, I really liked that. Uh, yes, I just remember. I think I saw it like three times in the first week or twice in the first week, something like that. And I remember after the second time just being like, all right, there's definitely some stuff that isn't working for me. And sort of, you know, unpacking all of that was was sort of how I spent the next, like, two years until Attack of the Clones came out. Um, but I just rewatched the movie, like, two days ago in anticipation of this. And I was trying to take some notes about stuff that I felt was legitimately good and legitimately bad. So I guess I want to start by asking you just sort of what what are some of the things that you felt The Phantom Menace did well, did properly? Okay. Yeah, that's that's a great question because there are it's funny. I've come to love the movie and I think you're similar, you know, like it, it's it's not an easy movie to love, especially for what we come to expect in a way uh, I've actually come to admire those movies because especially now in tentpole movies, you know, like the Marvel cinematic universe, which is, you know, more or less a, a template in a, in a way, except for the, except for the, uh, uh, you know, big Avengers thing, the, the standalone movies are more or less the same thing. And that's okay. I love those movies, but they look the same. They feel the same. They they're structured the same. And you had going into those star Wars movies, Lucas could just play the hits. Like, really really easily and these movies look different they feel different they function different they they are so very different and i didn't really appreciate that at the time but now i've come to be like wow what what a bold bold set of choices this guy made he um, went for it yeah like he had a really specific vision of what these movies are and he did it like for better or worse that guy, there was, there's that. Those aren't movies that compromised, and you don't see that a lot in that in the kind of scope of a Star Wars, uh, you know, Marvel again, Marvel, DC, Men in Black, whatever big franchise. You don't see that anymore, and I don't think we will for a long time. I think um, about that for sure. Yeah, there's just there's too much at stake, you know. But um, but I think you know, in terms of like the things that worked well, um, there's a lot. I mean, Qui Gon was pretty great. Like Qui Gon was a great character. I wish we gotten more of um darth maul like you said that lightsaber stuff like they all totally the nail on the head like we never got something like that and uh, of that kind of duel that kind of scope um and it was incredible the pod racing i still love i think the pod racing is fantastic um i like the foundations of of, of the mystery like i like the look i like the design like that the, i i went and saw that movie when force awakens opened i went and saw the whole marathon leading up to leading up to force awakens and was watching i haven't seen that in the big screen phantom menace in the big screen in years and watching i was like this movie looks great like some of the cgi is a little funky just because it's aged but the ships the design everything you know that that you know cliff chang you know brought to that it's it's a it's a beautiful looking movie it's shot great um and there's something we said i mean just aesthetically it's a great movie and um yeah, I'm trying to think what else. What do you got? What am I missing? I don't think you're missing much. You know, when I was watching the movie, I, I sort of took note of how insane the first 10 minutes are. So, again, I've told this story in the podcast before. I don't know why I didn't expect this. When I went to see that, I couldn't believe it began with the crawl. I just, I never considered that it would begin the same way. It's a I was a dumb 17-year-old, I, I guess, but I just I never expected that. And so from the beginning, I was like, oh, shit, this is, this is really Star Wars. And then the first 10 minutes of that movie, we get so much Jedi information that we never had before. We see them do things like the, the push. We see Qui-Gon cut through this, like, double reinforced door with his lightsaber and turning it into, like, plasma. We see them do a super speedy getaway. And we see, initially, the, the, like I said, the best lightsaber work we've ever seen. So in the first 10 minutes, you're watching this, and you think, like, holy shit, Star Wars is back. Mm -hmm. And totally. it was a really, you know, despite the, like, 
the maybe somewhat racist characterization of Newt Gunray, you know, <laughs> you know, you know, ignoring some of that. You know, the beginning of the movie really works. What I also think really works about the movie is you get the sense of Obi-Wan as as exactly the character you already knew. Like Ewan McGregor does not get enough credit for how great he is in the oh, prequels. He brings new things to the character, but never at the expense of thinking like, oh, that guy is not going to grow up to be good to be, you know, Alec Guinness. He he pulls it off so well. And, um, you know, I, I think Qui-Gon is for the most part a really solid character. Um, I don't love the pod racing as much as you do. I just think it's a very long scene. The scene's almost 10 minutes long. It is long. That's and, true. And I think it could have been toned down a bit, but that's that's a different story. You know, I, I think that there's I think that there there's a lot of when they're dealing with, with sort of known quantities with the Jedi, even with the Sith to a certain degree, I really like the film. I think the biggest knock against the film, bigger than Jar Jar, which a lot of people are not gonna like hearing somebody say, is the Trade Federation politics stuff. Yeah. It just drags the film down from Jump Street. It does not. It doesn't pull me in. Rewatching it, does that stuff pull you in more? No, no. I mean, I think there would have been a better way. I think um, there could have been not maybe not better. I mean, that that's hard to say. But I think a more dynamic way of establishing uh, what would become the uh, separatist movement. You know, I think they could have really put that frame that in a way that wasn't like trade routes which it, it it doesn't even make sense like i mean it's it's so hard to like give this one ship and we're blocking the whole planet it's like ri- really <laughs> it's the only way <laughs> like <laughs> and um, there are a bunch of moments like that in the movie like i wrote down this one line when i was watching it where because uh, i'm watching the movie with with fresh eyes I, I watch it every couple of years but this time i was really i was taking notes on it right and I, okay. I think, like, why don't they just call for help from Tatooine? Like, why not? And there's a line that he says, uh, it's too dangerous to call for help. But they never say why. Like, you're you're at the furthest point in the galaxy. Are the Separatists or the Trade Federation, whatever, really going to leave their blockade to come get you? Like, it, just, it doesn't make any sense. There's a lot of stuff with it. I feel like there was this idea of the Trade Federation, and then there was not a lot of plot attached to it that made a lot of sense to me. No, I mean, you're right. And that's, that's what it really, I think that's the biggest thing of, um, of the, the prequels that, that suffers from. And look, I, I, I love George Lucas with every fiber of my being in terms of like nuts and bolts and writing scripts. He wasn't, Oh, it wasn't his strongest quality. And uh, I think that's, a, that's something that a professional screenwriter could have really cleaned up. Uh, stuff like that because there is a lot of stuff like that that's just like you know let's go to the surface we'll take separate we'll split up it's like why <laughs> you know <laughs> <Right>. like why <laughs> why would there's just a lot of stuff that really doesn't make sense that like uh feels um it it, it makes the experience it diminishes the experience because you're like it, you're taken out of things and you're just left wondering like why are they making these weird decisions like you said why you know like oh it's too dangerous to call it's like why are you also afraid of the trade federation? <laughs> like, you are the Republic. You know? Yeah. Like well, you're jet, you're a Jedi. You're two of you, yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, so it's, there's a lot of stuff like that. And I agree. I think that's, I think that's more troublesome than uh, Jar Jar, you know, Jar Jar is just whatever, you know, yeah, I, I don't we'll have the Jar Jar in a minute. Um, right. But, but there is, but you're right. There's, there's stuff that's just, this is problems. I mean, it's not as bad as clone War, attack of the clones. Agreed. And I know it's a different episode, but like it's still <laughs> challenging. Certainly, and one of the things that I think struck me initially, but the latest rewatch really struck me is I do not, I cannot comprehend a reason why they didn't take Anakin's mother with them. Like, <laughs> granted, they didn't free her, but everyone agrees slavery is bad. Right. She's not like watched under lock and key, right? Like she can, she kind of comes and goes as she pleases from her little place. And even if someone comes after them, they're Jedi. Why don't they just take her and say, okay, well, you know, we're getting you out of slavery. Qui Gon is willing to break the rules. He's ready to like fuck with Watto's dice. 
He's ready to lie to him. But when it comes to a slavery agreement, he, he follows the letter of the law. It's, it's very weird to me. There's a lot of that stuff with Qui-Gon, that whole, that whole thing, you know, like, uh, I'm going to rig this game basically so I can get this child entered in a very dangerous game (laughs) (laughs) when it's like, but, but, and and I'll try to use a Jedi mind trick. I'll, I'll rig the dice. I'll do all this stuff. Just steal the shit, man. Just steal the parts. Like what's the difference? (laughs) (laughs) Like, (laughs) you know, like you're, you're being dishonest in in any capacity of those in these situations. So, (laughs) um, and it's the same thing goes with, with Anakin's mom, you know, it's like, that's a, that's a curious thing that you you didn't bargain for both with Watto. Like, I don't understand why you're so callous about like, I'm just going to just the one I need. Everybody else here. Sorry guys. See ya. See ya. Coruscant. Even if he says like, I didn't come here to free slaves, which sure you didn't. If you're, if you have found what you think is the most powerful Jedi of all time, wouldn't you think that like, just taking his mom would be interesting for like midichlorian purposes. As much as I don't like the midichlorian concept, like if this boy does have those levels, don't you want to test his family? Don't you want to, there just seems to be very logical reasons. Even if you leave the emotional attachment out of it, of why he would want to take Shmi, but he doesn't. Yeah. Also she's, she's immaculate conception like that. That's, (laughs) That's something you might want to look into. Exactly. You know? <laughs> like, but it's all it's all just kind of like hand waved away. Like, ah, no, it's fine. She'll be okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, never mind. You know, <laughs> and it, that's, yeah. And that's, that's, there's, there are a lot of curious stuff like that, which again, a, a polished by whomever could have smoothed a lot of that stuff out. Yeah. I, just there's a lot of inconsistency in the film. Like certain Jedi powers seem to come and go. Specifically, the speed. So there's that part in the very beginning where they kind of speed away very fast, and we've seen that in other Star Wars media a little bit. Right. But then there's the scene at the end where <laughs> the, there's yeah. the three lightsaber du- lightsaber duel, and there are those force fields put up. And Obi Wan is running hard, but you'd think if he has a force power to just like fly through that, why wouldn't he do that? Yeah, I, I don't know. They had to wait at every single, you know, uh, yeah. individual set. I was like, I feel like you, you could hurry this along. <laughs> and um, yeah, it's just stuff like that, that like, they introduce things that then make them, yeah, like you said, inconsistent. Uh, and I guess you can explain some of the way you could say, like, well, he was tired, he couldn't draw. I mean, I don't know, you, sure. can, you can do you could say something. But when you have one or two of them, it's like, okay, well, okay. But when you have like 10 of these weird things, it's like this, this is just kind of, this is kind of diminishing, uh, uh, the, the story as a whole, uh, when it's just happening every couple minutes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and I'm not trying to shit all over Lucas here, but, but there are other things in the script that just seem like, again, like you said, a polished screen would look at this and say, well, maybe not for this one. Like, for instance, there's a scene where, where Padme basically shoots a grappling hook and gets lifted up and as if it's no big deal. Like, she's the queen. She probably <laughs> doesn't get grappling hook training every day, but she does this thing like there's no fear in her. There's no, And maybe that's supposed to be saying how brave she is. Sure, but, like, you know, I think you give the bravest guy in the world an instrument for the first time and say, use this. They're going to be a little bit you know, perplexed by it. And she's just like, nah, it's cool. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> there's a lot in that, like the raid sequence. I mean, it, it, uh, uh, the raid of the palace, that's wonky, let's say, yes. you know, uh, and then, and there's another thing if you want to draw thing, it's like, I need that signature. It's like, really? Just fake <laughs> like, <the> signature. <laughs> yeah, you're willing to do all this. You won't, you can't forge it. You can't, I don't understand how, you know, like that's, that what that's one magical friggin' signature <laughs> exactly especially because like, 10 minutes before then they're forging videos of people that right. had may knows like they have they have the capability to fool people yeah yeah i yeah no that <laughs> there's stuff in this movie man there is just there's stuff that's why people you know as much as i love it and people are like i i just can't get behind that movie i am like I get it, <laughs> you know, yes, like absolutely. <laughs> it's um, it's not an easy movie to 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 embrace, but yeah. I do. <laughs> so 
I want to get through to Jar Jar in a second, but there's just two more quick things I wanted to bring up, which yeah. is, um, actually, I'm going to save my my the rest of my Jedi stuff for the very end. So we're talking about Jar Jar and the Jedi, but but there are, are two things that I think are also really clear when watching the movie again is that young Anakin is basically just an exposition machine. Like <clears throat> the first couple of scenes with him, all he does is download knowledge into your brain. He, and I feel really bad for, for both people that played young Anakin Skywalker. I think they did the absolute best they could with what they were given. And when you look at what Jake Lloyd has to deliver in this movie, there's a lot of stuff that's just, I understand that that information had to be given to us somehow and that he has to ask the questions that we would want to ask because this is a totally new part of Star Wars for us. But, I mean, is there anything about Jake Lloyd's dialogue in this movie that you think works? Oh, boy. I mean... And not against him, but in the dialogue given to him. It's No, I mean, probably not. I mean, it's... It's everything you say. It's that's an impossible job. Uh, that poor kid. Uh, and same thing with Hayden. They, they, they neither one of them had, had had it easy. Um, and you know, you see him go through the movie, uh, Jake. Um, and he's put in these situations where he's always kind of just reactive, which is, I guess, sort of a kid thing. But he never really has much much agency like he flies a ship and the ship's kind of flying on his own he's just yep. reacting to what's happening he's reacting to pod race he sort of maybe uses the force because of qui-gon's guidance but like he's always reactive to what's going on around him he's always just kind of like you said explaining you know whatever and 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 not and not in a very elegant way either and it doesn't just because he's a kid doesn't mean it has to be ineloquent right. you know you you could have made it easier for him because his dialogue tends to be long as well so, no, I mean, it's, it's, it's hard. I mean, I think, like you said, I agree he did a great job for what he had, but um, he did not have an easy job. Yeah, and, and I think that there's a really important question that I never really asked until recently, which is, if Lucas really wanted to tell this story, why was it so important that, Jake, that, that Anakin was this young when he was discovered? And if he was this young, then why didn't they cast a younger Padme for the first film also? Because to me, the age difference is really jarring when you watch this film. Yeah. Yeah, especially knowing like where that goes. And it's just very strange. Uh, and it's something I've wrestled with a lot. It's funny. Um, I have a friend, a uh, screenwriter buddy named uh, Seth Sherwood, who... Um, is a huge Star Wars fan as well. And we both have exchanged our uh, Phantom Menace fanfic, basically. <laughs> like, not even fanfic, but like our, our basically broad stroke rewrites. And we hadn't really talked about it. And both of our drafts, both of the things that we wrote were like, Anakin was like 15 to start right. this movie. Uh, I think Aunt Padme's age is appropriate. She should be around that age. I don't know, you know, how old Natalie Port. She's older, but I don't know how much older than, than Padme, but. Right. She she was she was fine more, more oh, sure. or less. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, I have no problem with her. I yeah, just, like, but but you're yeah. right. Like if Anakin was 15, then it makes more sense that he's too old to train to be a Jedi. Right, because like you, you mean what we've learned is that like you know since you know Jedi some you know kids get taken sometimes when they're one or two like around there even three is considered a little old you know but like. He's still like six, you know. It's not, he's not like forty, you know. Like, and at this point, we didn't know Jedi were taken that young, right? Yeah. So that's just again what we're just being told, you know. And yeah. so we're just like, what is what does that even mean? You know, Luke was like seventeen, right? <laughs> like, exactly. <laughs> um. So yeah, I, I that's that's another choice that I, I, I know he, I know Luke is uh, evergreen thing he says is family movie family movie i think he wanted to have a kid so kids can see themselves in, in this kid and sure. have it be this family fun adventure and that was like that was a great way him going like yippee you know it's a very he's going for something really specific and particular there and that goes into jar jar as well um so i don't think it was an accident it's just kind of hard to 
it's kind of hard knowing what we got to say it, it was definitively the right call to make him that age. Sure. Yeah. Um, so before we get into Jar Jar and the Jedi, I just want to talk about the weirdness that is involved with this movie. Cause, uh, as I'm sure you have done, I really debated what order to show my kids the Star Wars movies. Mm-hmm. Because there are so many things that I wanted to preserve from the original viewing order. But I also felt like in some ways with younger kids, maybe they would prefer a story with starring a younger a younger protagonist, right? So I understood sort of both sides of it. But what's really hard about watching this movie is how much you are presumed to know about Star Wars going into it. There are certain things that you are just – like the Jedi mind trick, if you don't know what that is – that's a really weird scene. <laughs> Obi- right. Trying to do the Jedi mind trick. And, and there are a few examples like that of just things in the movie that, unless you have seen the original trilogy, you are you're just not going to pick up as well. Um, and I think that's a hard position for Lucas to have put himself in, where you don't want to explain like what a lightsaber is. You don't want to have to explain what the Force is again. And he does do those things to a certain degree, but there are lots of winks and nods that if you haven't seen the original trilogy, don't make a whole lot of sense to you. So I guess what I'm asking you is, do you think that this could be an appropriate starting place for a Star Wars fan, or do you you still want to start people with a new hope? Yeah, I mean, I I agree in all those things. It is a challenging... It's it's a perfect movie for kids in a lot of ways, but it's also an imperfect movie for kids in a lot of ways. And everything you mentioned, also everything you mentioned about the Trade Federation stuff, that's confusing. Yes, like, <laughs> like it, it's it's kind of boring and it's confusing, especially for like a six year old. Um, so, but on the other hand, being honest, for this generation, for kids now, A New Hope is kind of boring. It's long. The takes are slower. You know, like there's just a, the pacing is different. So I can see a six-year-old being bored by it because it's just a very, very different kind of film. And the exhilarating things are probably nothing that they haven't already seen before in some way. Um, Personally, I side on New Hope just because I think – here's the problem that I have. The main thing that I have with um, Phantom Menace is that there is really no protagonist in that movie. Like I don't know whose story that is. It's not Obi-Wan's. It's not really Qui-Gon's, Anakin, not really, it's, there's nobody, there's no f- central point of view where a kid can watch and like go on a journey with a character. And I think that's really important. At least in New Hope, you get Luke. He is the character. He's the main person. This is his journey. It's super clear. And I think that's, there's an investment there that, that we all look for in our art and entertainment is that seeing ourselves and others and, and getting a little bit more from the, the the storytelling experience because we're there in it in that way. Um, and Luke does that perfectly. He does that. He fulfills that hero's journey checklist, check or checks that box. Phantom Menace doesn't have that like at all. Um, so I think that's something hard for, for them to navigate. Like who, who am I invested in? You walk away, like who's your favorite character? It's like, I don't know. I mean, is it the old, guy you know the kid you know there's really they didn't there wasn't that element and that's hard yeah you know i I guess it's closest to being qui-gon's story but it really isn't qui-gon's story and if it was qui-gon's story it's a bummer because he's dead at the end of it (laughs) 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 yeah i mean that's that's exactly the thing you know he's just there kind of pass on the torch more or less um so, I mean, yeah, I mean, he's the one with the most agency, you can say. He's the one who's actually doing things. But Obi-Wan, Anakin, Padme don't really do anything. You know, I mean, once in a while, they'll kind of step out. Um, but they don't really make any decisions. They don't really lead anything. So it is kind of Qui-Gon. And if it is Qui-Gon's story, I don't understand why. Right. It's almost like the story is – like it's, it's almost like the protagonist is the viewer because – Lucas is trying to give the viewer all the information that maybe he's had in his head for all these years about these movies, and he wants to catch us all up to it. 
the problem is that's not how movies work. Right. Well, it's like you said, it's like that prior knowledge, you know, like that, that movie it, just in a vacuum, that movie doesn't work, doesn't function at all. Like this is specifically like, this is the story of how Darth Vader or Anakin became Darth Vader. That's what this is. And if you don't know that or know what Darth Vader is or any of that, it, the movie makes no sense. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's tough to, to, I know a lot of parents ex experiment with it, what to show their kids and there's pluses and pros and cons for both, but I don't know. It's a tough one. Yeah. I, I went with the original order because and actually we watched the first 20 minutes of this movie and my daughter said, I'm bored. And I've tried to reintroduce the prequels to her since, and she has no interest in him. Uh, I, yeah. I've heard that. I've heard that from parents before. I, I, I think my kids dig it, but like, it's, it's yeah. They, I wish it's, she it's would. Easy to get bored. I, I wish she would dig it. I, it would. It would. I think it would be good for her. She loves the Clone Wars, and I was like, "Well, it's those characters." She said, "Yeah, but there's there's no Ahsoka, and that's her big thing." I was like, <laughs> you know, I can't fault you there. That's Ahsoka is an amazing character, and I understand why you want to see more Ahsoka stories. Um, yeah, but so let's talk about the Jedi for a minute. Um. I'm really interested to get your take on this because uh, I have a friend who's who's a big, uh, I'll, I'll call him a prequels fan. I usually call him a prequels apologist, but I'll, I'll be nice <laughs> today. And um, he, one of the things that I said was that my big problem at the time with the movie was that my whole life I thought I wanted to be a Jedi, and then I saw what Jedi were actually like, and I thought these guys are assholes, and I don't want anything to do with being a Jedi. And he said that's the point. Yeah, I, I totally agree. That's I think that's one of the, the, the best parts of these of these movies. And I think that I wish it would have been brought to the fore a little bit more. And that's I've, my point. Yes, like, it's it's hard to get there. Yeah. If if the if, if we're supposed to be understanding that the Jedi are bad, they do a really poor job of it. They make us think that individual Jedi are bad. Like, I don't. I can't think of a character that that is le that is more frustrating in Star Wars than Mace Windu. Oh, like God. Ma Mace Windu does nothing <laughs> in these movies whatsoever except for complain and not even do so in a in an interesting way. He's just there. He's a really really poorly written character that had so much potential because of the actor who played him and it just it's a whole lot of nothing. So you agree that that Lucas was setting out to tell us that the Jedi were bad. Yeah, well, I'll say this first. I'll have, uh, this is my controversial take. If I could take one element out of the prequels, I would easily, easily remove Mace Windu before I remove Jar Jar Binks. Easy. <laughs> like that's a I, spicy I, meatball, my friend. <laughs> I just, I, it, it, he, he, it's so frustrating. Better in the Clone Wars. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that was the point. I think that like that is big contributing factor factor to Anakin's downfall is that the Jedi Council had grown so uh, complacent and so kind of uh, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for just so kind of powerless so toothless so just sitting in their literally an ivy, ivory tower right um, really not doing much of anything they're just ineffectual Ineffective is the word I always use for the Jedi, so I, I agree. Yeah, and then along comes this guy, along comes this kid who's like allegedly this chosen one with this, you know, this prophecy that people may or may not uh, totally, totally like be into, and they just don't know what to do with him. They have no clue what to do with him, and then there's this war, and they treat him like shit all his life, <laughs> <laughs> and like eventually you know it's it's one of the things that drives him to snap and i think it was fascinating because you would never think that you would never think that it was the jedi order that actually played a significant role in birthing darth vader but they did i wish it, that story was clearer and better uh but i do think it exists in the trilogy i do think it's there i think it's there too but i have a i have an important question that I just don't have an answer to, which is that if that's the case, if, if part of Lucas's plan all along was to tell us about the downfall of the Jedi, then to it, it appears to me that to Lucas, it's more important 
to tell Anakin's story than it is to tell the Star Wars stories. I don't think that Star Wars is only the story of Anakin Skywalker. Like, we, the first three films that we saw were about Luke trying to become a Jedi. Mm-hmm. He had this he had this really um, strong goal and, you know, he basically sacrifices everything he has to attempt to achieve this goal. And at the end of Return of the Jedi, we are supposed to be so thrilled that he is a Jedi. And it just seems to me like a weird decision to, to then be like, all right, well, everything you guys thought was great. No, it all sucks. <laughs> it's just it's just a weird move. I don't necessarily think it's a bad move. I just think for what Star Wars is and especially what Star Wars was, it was probably a poorly timed move. Yeah, I mean, I think I think this goes back to the whole separatist uh dilemma and making that more dynamic like like I, we were talking about before, the Trade Federation is confusing. It's not very interesting. It's not very, again, to use the word, not very dynamic. I think that if he would have established a more dynamic opposition and shown this as the downfall of the Republic and the Jedi are are just caught into it, you know, like this, it, it, it's kind of almost Game of Thrones-ish about power and, and the relinquishing of power and how you can be on top forever and get so, like we said, ineffectual. You don't even really realize it. Uh, and for you know, it's your obsolescence. And and Anakin is just caught in that. That would have been better. I think, again, it would require fast-forwarding that first movie to, to, to make you know the separatist thing more solid, make it more real. Don't have it. Don't show these very nation stages where it's like real subtle political move maneuverings. You know, make it more dynamic. Make Anakin older, and you sh- can show you know this again this downfall of the Republic, this massive thing that's happening, this shift in the galaxy, and how you know the chosen one comes at the at the worst time, and that leads to bad things and i think that would have been it's again it's kind of there but it could have been a lot better and it could have solved that problem of like it would make the jedi look less terrible if it was more clear about not just their problems but the problems of the republic uh in in general as they ran into this conflict that they weren't prepared for didn't see coming and could do nothing to stop right I also think an easy way to solve it might have been to just have the Jedi look great in The Phantom Menace. Like, show show us the Jedi through Anakin's eyes. Why does Anakin want to be a Jedi? And then show his disillusionment with that. To me, that's much more compelling than just starting starting the experience with the Jedi Council as just being this, like overstuffed windbag society it's just it's bad it's bad i don't know no no i mean it's it, it's true i mean it's hard to, the nobody walks away being like wow the jedi council man i i that was just so awesome when you saw them where you're like look at these jerks exactly. <laughs> you know like and uh you know it is it, it's it's you don't really like them. And maybe that is the point, but it, again, reframing, if that was Anakin's story and he's like her tales of the Jedi and it's like this mythic thing to a slave boy, then boom, the Jedi are on his planet and all of a sudden he's caught up in this thing. And, and Qui-Gon is like a, like a God to him. And, uh, that would have been awesome. And then the, the, the Jedi council is like, yes, we honor master Qui-Gon. We're going to train you. We're going to do our best. And then, boom, there's this war, you know, and they're all of a sudden, they're generals in an army, and they're like, this is not who we are, this is not what we do, and now it's, everything's going too fast, too big, too much, and it's over, you know? My last note that I want to talk about, and if you want to talk about more of this stuff, just, you know, interrupt me and keep going, because I I want to talk to you about all this stuff, but is that what I find is really hard about this film, too, with the Jedi, is that there's so much contradictory Jedi information in this and all the films taken together. Like, for instance, you know, um, one line of dialogue could have solved Obi-Wan telling Luke in... Uh, Empire that Yoda was the the Jedi who trained him. 
Like, there could have been a very easy thing of, like, you know, they could have mentioned, you know, when I was under Master Yoda's tutelage, and done. No one would yeah. even ask a question. Okay, he used to be trained by Yoda, now he's trained by Qui-Gon. It's done. Um, or, like, you know, in Revenge of the Sith, there's this whole huge thing made of higher ground, and how higher ground is, like, the ultimate thing in, in fighting, and yet Obi-Wan defeats Darth Maul when he's literally hanging at his feet. Like, higher ground means nothing in that situation. And I, I, I feel like there's a lot of moments in, in these films where the convenience of telling the story right now wins out over, over telling the story that would work best for the overall Star Wars narrative. And I think that, that the Jedi, there's a number of things that they exhibit like the two I just mentioned that really feel like short-term solutions instead of a long-term goal. And Lucas knew he was doing three of these. So there's, there's no reason to presume that he thought, well, we'll figure it out as we go along. He knew where he was ending up and he supposedly had this story in his head for 20 years or whatever it was. So to me, those Jedi inconsistencies aren't really excusable. And I know I'm nitpicking here. I'm fully aware of that, but what do you think no, about that stuff? No, it's true. It's true. I mean, there are some like, you know, you you had to have known this is what Obi Wan said, you know. So like, you got to address it. He's he's clearly not being trained by Yoda, you right. know. So I mean, like, it's strange. I mean, I guess you could take a leap, be like, oh, well, Yoda just more or less, you know, quote quote unquote trains everybody, you know. Right. But that's not the impression we got, you know. Um, no, I mean, there's a lot of stuff about, like, clarity, and it goes for, like, the dark side as well. It's like, I don't, I'll never understand uh, why you introduce Maul, and then you kill Maul, and now you got Dooku, and Dooku doesn't even pop up until the last, what, at least, I forget, but the last half of clone, of Attack of the Clones. And then it's, it's gone like, in the first half of Sith. In the first 15 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, again, it's like, what did you, if you would have started with Dooku from the start, you know, just had it be Dooku and, or have it be one of those two and, and introduce, you know, some sort of like, you know, former, former Jedi, which, which, um, which Dooku is or whatever, or, or Maul, you know, taken specifically for the dark side, you know, whatever. But like, it's just, it's like the Jedi. It's like weird that like, why aren't we getting more and why isn't it consistent? Like it's, I'm, I'm just not, you know, I, and I'm, I don't know if I'm explaining this well, but no, you know I what I mean? It's just like, it. yeah, I don't understand why Qui-Gon and Darth Maul didn't both survive the first film. That makes so much more sense in the grand scheme of things. Oh man. Yeah. I think, I think that it, it would have been, a lot cooler if they were around at least for one more yeah yeah or if they i i always say that you know qui-gon's death is never really mentioned again after after (laughs) the phantom menace like if if part of attack of the clones was they're trying to hunt down the other sith who was responsible for their master's death there's way more emotional resonance in that than what we actually get in that movie well, again, goes to everything that we're talking about, you know, like you end Phantom Menace, they're burning his body. And, you know, it's like, mm-hmm, true, there are. It's like, are you, were you looking? Like, we never got the impression that you were actively worried about this. Right, <laughs> you <know? exactly. laughs> that you're like, yo, there's one more. There's the, and it's been 16 years. So he might've found somebody or 10 years or however long <laughs> right, he might've right. found somebody else. Like how much was, what, level of concern because <laughs> it doesn't seem like much yeah. you know and i think that like again it, it would address qui-gon's thing like there wasn't there didn't seem to be a sense of urgency which is very curious uh you know that they they never again again a simple line of dialogue like oh the sit still eludes us or, or or whatever but they're just kind of like i don't know maybe there's one i don't we're not sure <laughs> <laughs> And then before we dig into our last 10 minutes or so of Jar Jar chat, um, I just want to say that 
and I don't know your opinion on this necessarily, but I loved The Last Jedi like very, very much. I, I was a huge fan of The Last Jedi. And I think that The Last Jedi does a number of things that The Phantom Menace attempts to do. I think The Last Jedi gives us a really good explanation of why Luke felt the Jedi had run its course. I think we know more about why Luke was against the Jedi than we do about why anybody else would have felt negatively against the Jedi. I also think that Rey is a better avatar of the good that could be from the Jedi than anybody we get in The Phantom Menace is. I really do think that The, that the Last Jedi, in a way, is most related to The Phantom Menace because of those exact reasons. When we watch The Phantom Menace, we see a Luke who's a disappointment to us. You know, we all grew up idolizing Luke Skywalker. To see him, this broken man, that does a better job of showing us the imperfections of the Jedi than just having, like, ineffectual political conversations, you know? Yeah, I mean, there is so much... um... Uh, whatever anyone's feelings about Last Jedi, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a spicy conversation. <laughs> uh, but whatever you feel feelings about that, there's so much, so much calling back to to the Phantom Menace. In, in you know, I'm, I'm sure you've seen it. It's just shot similarities, aesthetic. Uh, there's just a ton, a ton that Ryan Johnson called back to that he specifically circuits that he closed, uh, and it's all kind of intertwine especially luke's story and the jedi story with you know what happened with the phantom menace and, and you know that great scene where you know yoda you know yoda and luke were, were where yoda is even admitting where they went wrong uh in a number of ways and, and you see it and i think it's it's pretty it's a pretty good landing place i think it's a it's a necessary landing place that said like hey this wasn't always right. You know, we got it wrong. And we, we are also culpable for the darkness, the dark period that this galaxy endured through our failure and through our, through our ineffectiveness, all these things. And uh, that's all true. And I think that's all part of Lucas's story. Um, So yeah, I mean, that, that last Jedi did a really, really good job of um, threading some stuff that is in, that's baked deeply in Phantom Menace and, and the trilogy prequels in general. Yeah, I'm really interested, and this is a conversation for another day, but I'm really interested to see how, you know, I, I've heard that J.J. Abrams has claimed that he wants Episode Nine to really bring the prequels back into the conversation. And I'm really fascinated to see how that's going to work. Oh, yeah, I... um. I mean, I definitely, I definitely have thoughts. <laughs> uh, and, we'll talk and about fasc- it. I promise this won't be your last appearance on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, but I, I'm like you. I'm fascinated as well. And uh, but you know, it's but but what's crazy is that you know, it, we, we Last Jedi already did that. You know, I don't think it. Right. I don't think it closed the book on it. Um, but like, we got that. You know, we got we got the prequels being acknowledged that they, you know, actually exist, (laughs) (laughs) that they're just not, you know, you know, put in the shame corner, you know? (laughs) Yeah. So, so let's talk Jar Jar here. Um, Let's (laughs) give me your sort of like your Jar Jar thesis in, you know, in a sentence or two, what are your overall thoughts? And uh, I have one very specific question at the end after I give my thoughts, but I want to hear yours first. He's, I mean, there's not, there's not a lot to like about Jar Jar Binks, you know, like he's, it's, he's a silly character. Uh, He's, I don't know. I feel like, I feel like Lucas is almost like trolling us when he's like, Jar Jar is my favorite Star Wars character. (laughs) Oh man, you don't mean that. I know you don't, there's no way. Um, But no, I mean like there's, He's just so uh, an obstruction, a nuisance. You know, people are like, well, the Ewoks. It's like the Ewoks actually, you know, accomplished some stuff, and they they weren't so. One, for one thing, they didn't speak, which is which is a plus. At least yes. the language we understood. Um, and, and and he's just kind of this this buffoon, kind of, you know, gangling his way through through the story. And I know kids like it. My kids like that. Mo- see those movies, and Jar Jar cracks them up. And I don't care. It's totally. It's not like I'm like you're wrong. You know, like whatever. Kids see it, they like it, and I and I realize 
that's kind of the point. So he doesn't bother me so much. I mean, I don't, I'm, I'm not going to, you know, get to that Lucas level of trolling and say that I love Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> but like, you know, it's hard to get worked up about Jar Jar, I guess, for me at least. I think at this point it is, definitely. Um, but so as I was watching uh, Phantom Menace the other day, I was thinking about this, and I, I think I've identified the Lucasfilm character that Jar Jar is most like. And okay. You're going to laugh at this, and you're not going to agree with me. Uh, and I actually don't even know the character's name, but I don't need to. You're going to know who I mean. He okay. is the Kate Capshaw from Temple of Doom. Oh, God. Because she she comes on the screen, and she just screams the whole time. She's constantly yeah. in danger and just shrieks and is and you don't like her and I never understood why Indy fell for her as a kid I was like she's terrible why is he spending his time with her oh obnoxious man she's terrible she is and that but that's who Jar Jar is in this movie like he's this character that you're supposed to like but but I can't tell why you're supposed to like him um you know he he connects you to the story I guess in some interesting ways but he really doesn't do that much there and like again I don't think Kate Capshaw does very much in Temple of Doom to push the plot along. No, I not to my knowledge. Uh, <laughs> you know? I, my my recollection's fuzzy, but no, I mean Jar Jar is the same way. I mean, I guess he you know stops the battle battle droids uh, at the end. You know, he kind of fumbles into it, but like, yeah, he's just there to to kind of. Uh, I, I just don't know why they kept him around. I think that's that's the thing. It's like, why is this guy in the inner circle? I don't <laughs> like. Why is Padme like you should you should stand in for the Senate? It's like, what? <laughs> like, do you recognize who this person is? <laughs> like, uh, so again, it's hard. He he gets he's so bad at everything, but we're kind of told that we need to trust him that he needs to be part of the adventure even 3po got things right you know 3po had <laughs> served some function right you know star jar serves no function other than occasionally accidentally doing the right thing so it's like it's hard to really be like why is it's hard to reconcile why he's even there yeah or why anybody would keep him around you know the gungans in general are a weird aspect of the film there's a line in the movie where uh, basically, I forget who says it. Somebody says like that the Gungans didn't believe that there was an invasion coming, and that they would like they just they just don't believe it. Like, why would they doubt that there's an invasion? Coming? It just it seems to me like you're trying to build them as suspicious. Okay, but they live on the same planet. If there's explosions happening outside, they would believe the invasion's coming. You know, right. just, it was. I I don't understand the role of the Gungans in general, but Jar Jar in particular, he's just. And I know I know it's an easy target, and I, I I'm sure you've read the Chuck Wendig uh, aftermath trilogy. Yeah, right. There there's a little Jar Jar scene, in yeah. I believe it's the third book. That's that's kind of heartbreaking, but you know, but but somewhat closes the book on him, and it's you know I think it's a decent, a decently written scene, and I I don't think that Jar Jar is the cause of every problem in the prequels. I just think he's a really useful avatar for the problems of the prequels. Yeah, and that's why everybody still harps on him so much. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I think you, I think that's a perfect way to put it because it's like it's a lot of things we're saying of like the consistency and the logic and the sense that sometimes escapes the narrative. And it's easy to, to look at Jar Jar and he's all those things. You know, what serve purpose does he serve? What sense is this? You know, like like the Gungans in general. There's so much. There's so much strange stuff just that is Jar Jar and it reflects a lot of those movies problems. And that's probably why a big reason, not maybe a big reason, but a contributing factor to why he's become so reviled, but now he's kind of made a comeback. I think people like I was there uh, at celebration. Ahmed best came out and he got a, a roaring ovation, you know, cause I, you know, this guy's been through hell. <laughs> just the yes. least <laughs> that the community can give him <laughs> 20 years later. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, you know, I think hopefully they, you know, 
people are busy hating the last Jedi for the moment. So exactly. Jar Jar's off the hook. Yeah. <laughs> so hopefully, I mean, Kelly, Matri- Kelly Marie Tran got her nice ovation at celebration also, but hopefully, you know, she will not suffer the slings and arrows that, uh, that Ahmed best did, uh, for as long as he did. No, I hope not. I, I feel like it's maybe cooled off. I don't know. I, I'm not, I'm not in, it plugged into that, you know, dark, dark net. (laughs) So, but I feel like it's at least cooled off a little and then hopefully it, hopefully that's the case. Yeah. So here's my big Jar Jar question for you. And I'm sure you've heard this theory before. Okay. Do you believe that initially Jar Jar was supposed to be a Sith? No. No. Have you heard this? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's, uh, oh man. It's hilarious. Yes. I mean, do you believe it? No, of course not. Uh, <laughs> but if, if you do, like, you know, I, I, I think that, you know, it's just it. There, there's a video out there that shows a bunch of times where Jar Jar appears to be like he moves his hand in a way before something falls off a shelf. So you could believe that he is like using the force to pull it off a shelf or there's, you know, you see him speaking half a second before somebody else speaks and it looks like he's kind of saying the like mouthing the words that they're going to say but it just it's a testament to just good editing of this video that that we even remotely consider this because (laughs) even like in the text of the film we're told there are only two sith at a time and we're shown palpatine and we're showing Maul, so we know that he's not a Sith, you know, it just wouldn't make sense that he would be, just based on the narrative introduced in the film, there's no way he's a Sith Lord. But I do think it's a pretty hilarious theory people have. But then again, we've poked we've poked holes in a lot of Star Wars logic. Uh, so the rule of two, you know, who knows, man? That's who true. knows? <laughs> there is Asajj, there's, there's yes. Grievous, kind of, you know? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't. Th- I think that's one of those things that, if it was true, Lucas strikes me as a stubborn enough guy to have carried that through the whole time. <laughs> I don't think he would have let fan reaction change that because I think that that would ultimately have redeemed the fans' reaction. That they would have it would have given them a real reason to hate him as opposed sure. to just hating him because he's clumsy or whatever, like the Gungans. You know, it's. Uh... Man, I don't get it. No, I mean you got. I think there's there's a certain amount of desperation that you need to really kind of uh, even theorize Jar Jar being a Sith. Like, just like <laughs> please, just let me make sense of this. You know? <laughs> Give me something, goddammit. it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so please be- tell me there's a meaning. <laughs> <laughs> so before I let you go, uh, just real quickly, what is your favorite Star Wars film? Uh, Empire, for sure. What is your least favorite Star Wars film? Oh man, Attack of the Clones. <laughs> that that is the only appropriate answer, I think, in that in that question. And yeah. Uh, give me like one, one small thing that you hope the Rise of Skywalker does. Um, I hope it ends with the promise of more, more adventures from these characters. Um. Because the thing, I think that the thing that bums me out the most um, is that, like, you know, we can talk about La- uh, Last Jedi for days. But I think that kind of bums me out is that, like, we've seen in two movies basically, like, I don't know, 10 days of Ray's life. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> you know, and I, I, I want to see her journey. I feel like her journey is really just going to be beginning in earnest um in this in this new movie you know i think we've seen a lot a lot of it feels like a prelude to like what is going to be happening with her um uh in the first two movies i mean she's had a lot of great stuff but i i just don't know that those movies have like done enough justice to ray's character um and i want to know that we will have more adventures with her and Poe and Finn and, and, and everybody because I think that they deserve it and I, I really want to see more. And, and not just because like we're, we're selfish and we love these characters and same thing I'm sure at the end of Jedi we wanted the promise of more Luke. But I just think that like I feel like we've barely scratched the surface in a way that we didn't barely scratch the surface. We learned a lot about Luke 
especially in Empire. We we thoroughly, I feel like, knew Luke. I don't know that we thoroughly know Ray, and I don't know that we'll walk away from this movie thoroughly knowing Ray. Uh, and I think that would be very disappointing. That's an excellent answer. That's really oh, an excellent answer. So, <laughs> where can folks find you online? What do you have going on? And uh, what it, it, give us a little bit more about what you do for Lucasfilm. Sure, sure. Yeah. So, uh, well, starting with the Lucasfilm stuff, I just finished um, writing the Flight of the Falcon series in the um, uh, IDW Star Wars Adventures uh, series, uh, which is which is uh, the just the time of my life. I've wanted to do this forever. Uh, I want to continue to do it forever. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I'm currently working on a uh, a new Star Wars adventure series that's part of the. Um, uh, Lucasfilm Publishing's overall um, journey to, you know, the the rise of Skywalker initiative. Or I'm sure I'm writing uh, again in Star Wars Adventures a, a series um, that follows uh, BB-8, uh, R2-D2, and C-3PO on a uh, sort of an espionage uh, um, uh, recruiting mission uh, for the for the uh, Resistance. Uh, it's going to be uh, just fun <laughs> and uh i've got some other stuff coming down the uh, down the pike uh after after episode nine uh, cool. i can say that um so yeah and i'm, I'm online uh, at, at michael Maurice on twitter uh michael p mauricey.com uh and and yeah i'm, I'm i feel like i i try to be pretty accessible try easy to find and get to absolutely well uh thank you for joining us and like i said we're going to talk again about star wars down the road one of these days uh, yes. Thank you for being the first guest on this new segment we're doing. Yeah, anytime. This is a blast. I'm so glad we got to do this. I'm honored to be the first. This is oh. awesome. <laughs> Thank you.